The release of the barometer comes a week ahead of the forum's annual meeting, and it's meant to inform conversations that will be taking place in Davos. But more importantly, it's meant to help stakeholders around the world in the public and the private sectors navigate what is a complex and uncertain moment. The Global Cooperation Barometer measures the state of global cooperation across five dimensions or pillars. One, trade and capital flows. Two, innovation and technology. Three, climate and natural capital. Four, health and wellness. And fifth, peace and security. Peace and security has plummeted the last two years. We're much more resilient in the other areas. I hope that uh, even uh, in a fragmented world where we see corporate um, competition between nations, there are areas where we are willing to also cooperate. If we don't, we'll pay a high price. And I think this barometer shows us also the yield and benefits by cooperating. Let's look at those areas rather than all the areas where uh, we are seeing a less of cooperation. Hey everybody, you are listening to Canary Cry Radio and Razzle Dazzle. I'm your best buddy, Basil, and you're not crazy. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 169. About time. 169, about time. Gons, we're doing it. Good rhyme. First interview of 2024. Very exciting. As we've said on Canary Cry News Talk uh, several times now, it feels as if our over a decade of doing the nonsense that we do, Gons, has put us in the right place at the right time. We feel sort of spiritually positioned for the madness that is to come in 2024. Indeed, it may be that everything has been leading up to this year that promises uh, to sort of axiomatically change the paradigm of the world that we live in today. So keep that in mind, folks. And for longtime listeners, you already know this. You are aware. You've been tracking for over a decade the trajectory and also prediction after prediction coming true from your friends at Canary Cry Radio. But today, uh, we have something special, Gans. What do you have to say for yourself? Yeah, I would be careful about prediction after prediction. They're more so comments upon comments of uh, what may happen, and we just happen mm -hmm. to be pretty spot on on a lot of issues, generally and more specifically, depending on what the topic is. But yeah, we um we wanted to kick off 2024 here with Carl Tykrib because he's a friend of the show. I know he's been on a bunch of episodes. Uh, he was recently on the Burning Man episode, the tome that we were able to uh, publish on uh, back in September, I think. It's been four months since Carl was on, so it felt like just yesterday. Yep. But uh, Well, and indeed, we have an entire library yeah. of episodes that were either inspired by or include Mr. Carl Tykrib. Uh, if you go to burningmanresearch.com, I don't know if I told you this, Carl, who's not on the screen yet, but you will be in a second. Burningmanresearch.com was not taken. I swept it up. We have it uh, 
tied up in our basement. And if you go to burningmanresearch.com, it'll take you to a library of all of our, well, you guessed it, Burning Man Research. Uh, many, many hours worth of podcast episodes uh, to explore there. Uh, and it's really all thanks to Carl, who got us on this train back in 2014. Um, and for that, we're very grateful. So without further ado, I'd like to uh, to introduce a man who needs no introduction here, but it is our very good friend, Carl Tykrib. That's good to be with you guys. Can't believe it's 2024 as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty darn wild to, to think that. But here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Beginning of a new beginning of a new year. It's going to be no doubt filled with surprises and some craziness along the way, and uh, and all of this we trust God that He will see us through it. Right. Time Amen. keeps on ticking, ticking, ticking into the future. Mm -hmm. And folks, no doubt you've noticed by now, our good friend Carl is Canadian. <laughs> which gives him a very special set of skills when it comes to uh, researching the grand scale of uh, four trends and forces that are ruling our world. Only a Canadian could truly have the insight required to do such a monumental <laughs> task. Uh, but thank you for being here, my friend. And for those who don't know, uh, Carl is an author and a researcher and a speaker and a just overall genuinely quality human being you might know him specifically from a uh, game of gods which is uh on i am learning now i just had a listener tell me a, a listener whom i know in real life uh and have actually seen face to face uh for many years uh telling me that they are making their way through game of gods Carl, you're opening eyes across the world, and for that, we are appreciative. Well, thank you. That's really cool. It's always neat to see where your work goes. You have no idea. I mean, I've been at this for, well, a long time, full-time since 97, and before that, going into the early 1990s, and, and you have no idea where, where your material will end up, whose lives you might touch, whose lives you might reach. Uh, you just trust that seeds will be planted. And that hopefully people will uh, will think and work through what you've said and uh, and and hold it up first of all to the light of God's word to see okay is this guy on track or or where is he at and then to to be able to use it as a bit of a, a lens to view what's happening in the world around us and there's no end of of just um, pressures and uh, as I use of a magazine called Forcing Change. Forces of change, those political, economic, philosophical, religious, cultural, even technological forces that are, are changing the way that we do society. Like moving from Skype to a StreamYard. Yeah, big deal. <laughs> big moment in not just the history of this show, but the history of podcasting altogether. Uh, we've officially... I don't know. I, I officially feel old when other podcasters hear that we still use Skype and you can just see that they respect me a little bit less. <laughs> um, but that's that's what I love about your work, Carl. And in a moment here, I'm going to maybe ask uh, for sort of a brief, broad 
description of, you know, the, the types of work that you do and you kind of already have done that, but just in case there's new people here, uh, I want them to hear it from you. But one thing that I absolutely love about your research and talking to you, uh, as a, you know, as a interviewee, but also hanging out in real life and just having those conversations, those deep conversations that people who have, you know, screwy minds can get to having is that, uh, you know, if you're talking, trying to describe what's going on in the world to somebody, it's easy to get way too in the weeds of, particulars like this news story means this and this person is known for this and they and so this very specific thing that they said actually means this and you know it's too easy to get into the weeds trying to you know specifically describe what's going on in the world uh based on a you know 30 second sound clip or something but what i love and what draws me so much to your work over and over again is we are talking broad scale uh big trends and forces that are obviously moving and the evidence of of that is apparent even uh, to those who might not be familiar with the very specific sort of research that uh, that comes to that conclusion. Uh, in fact, this has been sort of the basis for our Burning Man research is, you know, you don't listen to our Burning Man episodes just to learn what's going on at Burning Man. You listen to the Burning Man episodes to have foresight into the society-wide changes that are coming in the near future, sometimes the very next year. It gives you uh, sort of insight into the broader, and I would argue more important things uh, that are coming down the pike. Uh, so keep that in mind, folks, as we continue on with this conversation. Uh, so please, describe yourself. <laughs> I'm a troublemaker, I guess, by heart. Um, I've been engaged, as I said a few minutes ago, in doing research on, on global transformation for, for decades already. And uh, I really, in, in many respects, I try to stand at the crossroads where cultural uh, pressures and forces, where, where technology, where governance issues, where religion, new religious movements, and then things like interfaithism, where it all kind of coalesces and intersects with each other, to try to grasp those bigger pictures, to see the, the panorama. Uh, and in fact, while we're doing this interview, uh, this week I'm teaching a course at Miller College uh, on secular and pagan trends, where I'm offering my students a 30,000 foot view, basically, of, of what's happening in terms of, of cultural, social, and religious and political landscapes, so that you can have a, a, a framework, uh, a, a kind of a, a reference point to begin to understand what we see coming down the road. And so much of the work actually is done in, in the past to try to understand history, what's moved history, what's changed history. Because if we don't understand history, uh, we're, we're not going to get where we are today. We're just not. And, and we're not going to have uh, a proper understanding for, for how uh, the future will, will unfold before us. So, so much of what I do deals with kind of the, those global transformational movements, whether it's political through the United Nations or through NATO, uh, collective security, a topic I don't talk a lot about, but I keep my fingers on. Um, Transhumanism, golly, uh, I was, I'm not the first, but I was definitely one of the early researchers 
uh, Christian researchers dealing with transhumanism. And, uh, and then, of course, Burning Man, transformational culture, seeing Burning Man as not just simply a single, singular event, but really a, a model or a template for, uh, for, for how we see this movement um, more or less seeded right around the planet. And, and so there's, there's a multitude of other events that have spun out of Burning Man. And you're right. You're absolutely right. That's a place where I go. Uh, and you go as well, Basil, to, to, to try to understand the trajectory, to, to go to those conversations where uh, you have the titans of Silicon Valley talking about uh, their projects, the new ideas that, that they're wrestling with, uh, the legalization and the advancement of, of psychedelic substances, cryptocurrency. Uh, the list goes on. Governance issues, so much. Um, uh, agenda 2030, all of these become talking points. And so in many respects, I look at Burning Man and that experience as a, a really a type of crossroads where all of this is coalescing in one location with art and, and, and trying to see this all from that, from that perspective. Um, and then in terms of religions, going to the uh, Parliament of World Religions, which I attended this last summer, uh, and other interfaith events, and trying to grasp uh, paganism, paganism and uh, uh, Wicca and some of the, the the new pagan religious movements that that are now starting to filter their way into into our culture. Yeah. So that's kind of what I do. I mean, you know, a jack of all trades kind of position, and um, yeah. I don't have formal training. Oh, I've, I get the question quite often: um, do, have, you know, what universities did you attend? And what kind of training did you receive in terms of how to engage in research work? I didn't. I have a whopping grade 11. I found that high school interfered with my education. So I was <laughs> like, gonzo. Yeah. Uh, right, gons? Yep. And <laughs> I was out of there. And But the thing was, when I began, when I began doing research to try to understand worldviews, and back in the early 1990s, it was on Freemasonry, because I was being pressured to join the lodge, and I never did. But I needed to understand what in the world are you guys all about, especially on how I was being approached to join the lodge. And so the only thing I could do in terms of, of research, I mean, because I had no formal training, was just to go to the source. I didn't realize that there was other ways of doing it. I just dug into their own rituals, their own literature, their own works of philosophy, their own works of history, went straight to the source. And that's the approach I've been using ever since. If you want to talk about world government. Oh, yeah. Global governance, you got to go to the source. Yeah. And that's what it is. You know, it's so interesting that you you uh, add on those those points there at the end, because how I like to describe, you know, my interaction with your work is, yeah, there's lots of particulars that have been really fascinating and uh, uh, things like that. But again, you've really opened up a a an almost a new mode of seeing things in these broad scope uh, uh type of ways and one of those things you know you mentioned higher education and training is uh just recently it was a couple months ago we had this story about the university of X essex um starting up a master's program in the occult and magic and it was, you know, has some, it's not just how to do these things. It's a little bit more on the history and the application and social engineering and, you know, something like that. Although there is some heavy 
study in its application uh, in sort of an academic sense. And what signaled, what that signaled to me was, oh, you can get a master's in this. This is going to be happening quickly. They're trying to create an industry of occult experts. And I sort of got excited and I usually don't actually make predictions, but I made a prediction like they are creating an industry of occult experts. We're going to start seeing occult experts showing up in the news. That's, you know, the, you don't create experts in something if it can't be used by the establishment. So there must be a reason. And I'm like, you know what? I think we're going to start seeing occult experts showing up on the news, giving occult analysis of current events and things like that. And boom, the very next month, the I think it was PBS brought in some occult experts to talk about uh, Trump's history. And just recently, I think it was like last week or a couple of days ago, Fox News brought on a, an occult expert, a tarot card reader to do a tarot card reading about the election. Like it was almost immediately after the signal went out. That, uh, you know, there's an industry of occult experts and it's going to be very interesting. People are going to be very engaged in it. And here you go. It took maybe four weeks to go from the signal to the reality that uh, occult experts are being sort of created in the higher education system to be deployed in the social engineering project that is uh, mass legacy media. Uh, so it's the type of thinking that led me to make that prediction that uh, I think uh, I, I either inherited from you or gleaned from working with you, or at least it was, uh, uh, you know, of course, strengthened and perfected through Carl Tykrip. So just a little bit of the, the, the benefits of paying attention to your work there. Well, you know, this is this is not difficult work. It, it's a matter of being able to see the trends. It's a matter of being able, to, you know, to be able to see um, what where, where the lines of influence go. That's really kind of the bottom line. Where how is their culture shaped? How is it influenced? And, and when you're when you're thinking about the long term trend line, we've moved from modernity. We move from a hardcore materialism and secularism, which more or less ran aground in the 1960s, honestly. And, and the 1960s opened up that age of postmodernism, which was an artistic and literary mood more than anything else to begin with. And now postmodernism is, is kind of a, a way of seeing the world where there's where we have nothing but questions about ultimate authority, purpose, meaning, but we have no answers. And so postmodernism creates its own vacuum of meaning because a question without answers becomes kind of pointless, especially when you say there are, you know, there is no answer, there is no truth. But that doesn't work. It's, it's not, it's not uh, a long-term solution. And so postmodernism, you know, basically right off the bat, uh, found its own kind of answer its own solution and we would call that today of course paganism or you would maybe describe it as as i did in my book re-enchantment and so no surprise that we are entering this occult era the mystical age the age of oneness because what else do we have left we've rejected materialism in its classical modernity sense 
we've we're in many ways we're looking for the answers even though postmodernism says there's no real answers there's no firm grounding but we know there's something we know but we, because we've rejected christianity and because we've rejected in many respects some of the the framework of the secular mind uh we're searching for the spiritual we're searching for for some sense of meaning and purpose and yeah. now what do we all we have left at this point is an ancient worldview it's a pagan worldview and so we have what could be you know described as an ancient future mythos an ancient future perspective we glean from the past we insert it for you know into the now and uh it's not too difficult to see where that's going to take us yeah. yeah and it's really coming to a time where people are uh understanding whether it's sort of amateur you know uh i don't know amateur historically or uh, sort of amateur analysis or you know looking at the scholarly and, and sort of academic side of it that mythology used to mean you know old fairy tales uh in in the public eye in the public understanding you say mythology everybody would say oh you know something to the effect of old fairy tales uh, the old pantheon of gods the the stuff people used to believe that now we tell stories about and make disney movies about stuff like that but really is coming to a common understanding that mythology sort of more in the joseph campbell type of sense it's it's in the secular vernacular that mythology is a, a, a is the stories of understanding that we use today, you know, where Trump has his own mythology, the sort of divine, uh, the not divination, but the making divine of current people, current stories because of the power that they have over our uh, sort of minds and decisions today, no longer past fairy tales. So like you say, you've got a sort of re-mythologized um, secular world. And what I find so fascinating is it's not necessarily just the secular world. You also have the Christian community uh, sort of being re-enchanted in this way, meaning, you know, it's it's uh, it's a shift in perspective of how the modern world works and how we interact in it. One, you know, uh, point that uh, goes towards that is, uh, as we discovered, as you discovered in uh, your Burning Man uh, trips and your research that you've uh, made available, is that something like i would say at least a plurality of the people who are attending burning man the crazy you know hippie slash tech slash uh weird mythological art festival in the desert which has its own mythology that we've covered um they're christians they come from a christian background they're they are either currently most of them are former christians uh and so this is not just something that's affecting secular ideology, but it's something that is absolutely saturating society as a whole. And one very interesting uh, thing I, I re, uh, what discovered lately is, do you remember the Christian musician John Mark McMillan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but extremely popular uh, Christian worship leader slash musician slash guy uh kind of in the early 2010s around that time i mean every worship team was playing his songs he was playing on every station he was pretty much the most 
uh, engaged with Christian artists during his time. Well, he's still going. He's got a, a new album out and he's making, you know, his sound has evolved and uh, it's very interesting. And I'll say this, I, the, the music is, I think, better than it was back then. I wasn't ever a huge fan, but, you know, he's sort of uh, developed over the time, kept with the times or something. Um, but on his bio in Spotify, he says stuff like, you know, uh, father, uh, blah, you know, whatever. His little bio mentions a couple of things. And at the end of it, he puts re-enchanted. And <laughs> that re-enchantment, if you're familiar with Carl's work, you listen to new John Mark McMillan songs and you're like, oh my gosh, he is re-enchanted. It lines up exactly with uh, the sort of broad strokes that you've made available through your research. So it's not just the secular world that is uh, experiencing this transformation. There's also a large portion of the Christian community. It's it's society as a whole, you know. You you don't you almost don't even need to separate secular from Christian when it comes to this uh shift in paradigm. Right. And, and this uh, you know we can see this idea of myth making creating a new global myth going back already to the 1970s with the Club of Rome. The Club of Rome was was in their documentation talking about the new global myth and how the Western nations will be the most suitable for, for adopting a change in values to accept a new global mythology. Uh, Stanford Research Institute, they're changing images of man. I don't think they use the word mythology, but it, it wraps it up in, in a same kind of a, of, of, of a sensibility that we're looking for a new mood, a new, a new yeah. framing narrative. Mm -hmm. A new way of thinking about things. So, you know, myth becomes an information technology. Yeah, that's really what it is, and and it sets kind of the course for how we think culturally and socially. And we are smack in the middle of this. My first research event that I attended uh, was back in 1997, speaking about creating myths, and that was a youth-oriented. Uh, uh, event called the Global Citizenship 2000 Youth Congress back in 1997, and it was to to re-engineer Canada's education system to to formulate a new curriculum that would be in line with United Nations goals and achieving the idea of sustainable development, create good global citizens. And during the course of that event, we were told repeatedly about the importance of venerating your mother, of Gaia, of having that world planetary mindset. Mm. Uh, Robert Mueller from the United Nations, the former UN Sec, uh, Undersecretary General, was our guiding figure. And uh, he was the one who gave uh, instructions and inspiration to those who were attending this, what, what really was a, an event built around changing Canada's education system to reflect uh, a planetary or an international mythology. And so th this well, has been, been working works. out great for you guys. Well, I know, and it's, it's <laughs> everywhere. You can't escape this stuff. And now I have a prime minister who completely embodies, literally embodies this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I pay a carbon. I pay a carbon tax. Okay. I pay every time I fill up my car. Well, right now in my province, we've we've axed the carbon tax for a couple of months just because our cost of living is through the roof. Thank you for all the taxes. Um, mm -hmm. 
and then the, then the money supply creation. Nevertheless, uh, you know, nobody really knows how inflation starts or ends, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> Justin, sure. Trudeau, Justin Trudeau has you know told us that the, bal- the, the, the budget balances itself. Nevertheless, repair <laughs> carbon tax. I, seriously, seriously. He's got the AI he's, he's, running the, the running yes. the books. <laughs> he even tried it. This is a while back. Uh, how he's unconcerned about monetary policy. I'm like, well, obviously. Yeah, right. More than obviously. So I, I you know, I got to pay my stupid carbon taxes, uh, which, and and because of my background going to UN events and World Federalist events, uh, I, I know where it came from. I know the history of, of the idea of the carbon tax and it is to serve Mother Earth. It's, it is to, to save the planet as if somehow we're going to be through my pocketbook, I'm going to be a savior. <laughs> I'm going right. to participate in in, in being a collective messiah for for Gaia. Uh, and, and I understand the spiritual pagan dynamics behind it. And it just ticks me off because I have no, this is not voluntary. I have no choice. I am giving a tithe and offering to Mother Earth, right. to my carbon taxes. Mm. I am participating in re-enchantment. I am participating in the mythologization of the world. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Blah. Yeah. I mean, that that shows an interesting aspect of this, which is it starts by, you know, trying to convince the children, trying to raise the children in this way, trying to instill these values uh, in the next generation and influence those who are influenceable uh, in society, who are hooked into the, uh, the mainstream media and believe their politicians are genuine and all these things. It starts with that. And as we see now, as we move into this phase two, it starts with trying to trick you and then it just goes straight to forcing you, to right. <laughs> forcing you to participate in not just the theory uh, but the praxis of this new religion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, let me jump in because I, the, in this time here, 2024, the, and I want to transition into the world economic forum. We got Davos coming up as we record this in, I think this week. Um, and their whole theme is rebuilding trust. So in this time, it seems that as they have clamped down and really shown their cards in certain places, I think Canada being one of them, we saw, a lot of what Canada or at least the leadership was representing during the lockdowns and all that kind of stuff during the uh, trucker protests and the world was watching the world saw. And so now these leaders, there's a lot of pushback. There's a natural populist movement around the world. There's uh, you know, people are calling it the awakening. There's lots of different flavors going on. People are really stoked about this pushback against the world economic forum, the UN, all these institutions that nobody voted for that are taking over policy and things of that nature. And they see they being these elite folks are seeing that their whole thing is not very popular amongst the masses. And so they are, we've noticed, we noticed it last year, but they are, their conversations have turned to how do we, how do we get the trust back of the people? We're losing people left and right. Everyone's pushing back. And so their whole thing here now, world economic forum, annual meeting, rebuilding trust as the big theme at the event here coming up. And uh, it says here about the meeting, the 54th annual meeting of the World Economic Forum will provide a crucial space to focus on the fundamental principles driving trust, including transparency, consistency, and accountability. 
which of course the the issue with a lot of these leaders is lacking all of those things so what are they planning what what do they see as are they going to make any progress in this regard are they actually do they actually think that by addressing these topics of transparency consistency and accountability they are going to continue to or, or at least get back the trust of the the public masses because right now it's sort of a PR game and Basil and I talk about fifth generation warfare a lot. It's a narrative game. And that's the big reason why we uh, appreciate your work, Carl, is that you give us the the tools to analyze the protocol, the worldviews that people are operating with. And that that it's just a quick f- way to understand where people are coming from. Whereas, you know, if you get lost in the minutia of details of, you know, these organizations, institutions, these groups, then you get confused and you can get lost in the mix. But I'm ranting. Carl response to the, yeah. to the Davos thing. Yeah. And, and yes, trust is a big thing. We've lost trust. COVID, COVID's one of the biggest, uh, one of the victims of, of, of the COVID era was the destruction of trust. But of course, the, the trust that they're referring to isn't the trust that we lost as uh, as communities in, in, my, in my province. Specifically, we put in snitch lines and enforcement officers and immediately you, you knew where this was going to go. Trust was going to evaporate. But the trust that they're describing is more of a self-serving version of trust. My expect, uh, uh, expectation with this is that they're going to focus more on things like curbing misinformation, right? And disinformation, yeah. So that so that you can trust us more. That was the flavoring that came through at the um, uh, the Parliament of World Religions back in August of 2023 when I attended. Uh, uh, golly, I've got the the workbook for. I'm not going to change the subject here, but I just want to correlate this. So here's the agenda book for the last Parliament of World Religions, A Call to Consciousness, Defending Freedom and Human Rights. That sounds so good. We would all be on board with that. We want to defend freedom. We want to advance human rights. We want to make sure that that we have our liberty. <laughs> um, we had workshops on curtailing Trumpism and right-wing nationalism, right. and the problem—the problem of evangelicals. Evangelicals were, were okay. The language has changed in the interfaith community. It used to be if you were a Christian and took your faith seriously—that is, that Jesus Christ is the only way—you were a fundamentalist. Then you became an exclusivist. I can live with both. Then you became an extremist. The language of the 2018 parliament was was interesting. It was a shift. You are a supremacist. The language mm. at oh, wow. this parliament, at this last parliament, is you're an authoritarian. Yeah, of course. Wow. Yes. And, yeah. and then the hints, the hints where that were thrown out in one of the workshops, uh, because there is an anticipation that the language will change again. You are a terrorist. Yeah. And so yeah. we were we were promised we were promised that in order to maintain and and uh, support freedom and human rights, we need to we need to engage in doing a better job to to stop the flow of right wing misinformation, uh, conservative talking points. Uh, we need to start clamping down on AM radio, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, we need to put more of a handle on. On, on controlling the internet and the flow of information. So when they say, they being the World Economic Forum, we want to reinstill trust, my, to me, I'm going, I'm, I'm already going, yeah, I, pardon me, but I don't trust you. <laughs> yeah. Well, just, get well, this, get this, Carl. Yeah, um, we, we just have finished episode 702 of Canary Cry News Talk. 
which was titled Game of Trust. Let me just show this here for people watching here. Game of Trust. And uh, we covered an article that um, <laughs> published by Cointelegraph titled, Yes, We Trust announces Trust in Tech Day at World Economic Forum Davos, Switzerland. So look forward to that one, Carl. Um, so it's a Swiss. Which is basically a cult. Yeah. So <laughs> we looked into <laughs> Yes, We Trust. To your point about myth mythologizing, it's almost like they've given up on the the old way. They've They've picked up the... Sort of a, a different way to do things. Oh, I, I, they lo I lost the page, Basil. The whole page is gone. The whole page has become um, coming soon. I wonder if they took oh, it down yeah. because so the cult stuff was way too intense and we called them out on it. <laughs> yeah, they started – that started happening when we were reporting on it live, that they started putting everything to uh, oh, under construction after it had existed and was released and uh, informed about at Davos. And then like what happens a lot with the World Economic Forum is they come out with their brilliant <laughs> ideas and then people hear their brilliant ideas and say, you guys are absolutely insane. You're <laughs> crazy sort of – <clears throat> uh, you know, mind control cult worship that they want you to join into and they go, oops, this isn't coming across how we want it. No. You know, same with the, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. That was in their own video, yeah. in their own brochure. And, uh, of course, surprise, surprise, people didn't like that idea. Yeah, if, if I now could they're summarize it. Distance from it as much as they can. If I can summarize it for you, Carl, the, their website, their homepage was, you know, the, the whole thing, the logo, the whole deal. And then it was join us or, you know, be a part of the start your hero's journey. It was the Joseph yes. Campbell prompt. It was your hero's journey. Step one, download the app. You got to download the app. You got to do that first <laughs> to join. And it was something about join the elite class of humanity or something yes, like that. It was literally... The, the 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 exclusive people of humanity making a difference and then it, it was, was kind of like when you get a, a dm or a private message on facebook or something and it's some uh guy with his picture in front of a bentley and he's asking you if you want to join the illuminati right it's kind of like that it's exactly like, no you'll be you'll become a leader you'll get opportunities to get financial funding for your for your stuff, you will work on becoming a better version of yourself. Become yeah. your perfect self. Yeah. Join Yes We Trust. Get the app. Pay the membership fee. You know, it was crazy. It was lunacy. Yeah, it was unbelievable. So I think they have changed from maybe not, maybe not changed, but they are trying different tactics of earning back trust. And especially with some of the newer technologies coming out, it'll be interesting to see how they pivot because their their authoritarianism has become very apparent. It's it's not so much. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's similar similar to the education system in Canada, as we just mentioned. Which is first they start by trying to uh, you know tell a story to make you trust them or get on on board with the ideology, and then they force it. It's like the hammer and the nail. All they the only tools they have is PR. You know marketing, uh, uh, you know, which of course we, we know here has some very fascinating roots in occultism and, uh, famous occultists of the 20th century invented the idea of marketing. It, there was a time where the very idea of PR and marketing didn't exist. Uh, but then somebody came up with the great idea that, Hey, 
we can just sort of mind control people into doing what we want. And that's all they can do is censor truth and redefine truth through their sort of postmodern ideology that has sunken so deep uh, into the hearts of I would say at least the elites, they are so convinced by this postmodern idea that they can create truth uh, that they're surprised when people don't come running back to them after <laughs> it's been apparent that they've been lying the whole time. I think they truly are surprised by this. Well, I'm waiting for them to come up with uh, like a conference or a Davos event where they where they highlight we're not going to interfere with your life. But that's not yeah. going to happen, is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pretty much opposite I want that to be every single time. Right. I want that to be next year's theme. We're not going to interfere with with your life. We're just going to go skiing, drink martinis, uh, spend lots of money, uh, you know, play the hypocrite and, 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 and blow out pile of petroleum flying to and from Davos so we can feel right. good about ourselves as we as we school you on climate change. Uh, but this year, we're actually, that's all we're going to do. That's all yeah. we're going to do. Wouldn't wow. that we're gonna be leave nice. you, I would be like, yay. That would get the clicks. <laughs> that would get the, all the clicks. That's that's their next um, agenda, probably, to, to make it seem like they're admitting stuff. That's the, the only card they have yeah. left to get the clicks. Well, that's, that's how I they could. That's it. That's how they could get people's trust. If they came That's out true. and said, hey. No, stop yeah, giving them ideas. <laughs> we're an organization. Our main goal is to sort of mind control you into agreeing with us so that we can make sort of a global uh, one world government That's, that yeah. really doesn't care about you. But, you know, we need to get rid of the useless eaters anyways. If they said That's that, true. they could gain our trust back. They need they need a uh, World Economic <laughs> Forum Trump. They need a Trump from within, you know, that just exposes their oh, whole agenda and then yeah don't give them any good ideas guns <laughs> that's telling you not to do <laughs> all right we, we we'll accept the checks from klaus in the mail yeah so so real quick back to this truth uh truth uh, sorry trust idea mm -hmm. the the app that they are pushing a whole big thing trust in tech you know of course we know technology is the the sort of doorway they have to the mass control that they seek it's it's only possible through technology but it's only possible if the people trust technology so they are literally creating a cult called yes we trust trust in tech and uh, the app promises to connect us with uh, other humans like ourselves. It promises to give us financial access to make our projects go big. It promises uh, to turn us into the best version of ourselves so that we can take our place as the best people on earth. This is almost literally word for word what they're saying. And uh, this trust idea is so, sorry, the sort of postmodern uh, view on the trust that they are trying to create is exactly what you mentioned earlier. It is mythology. It is creating a modern belief system, a not just a belief system, but creating the cognitive atmosphere and the stories that we tell us that the hero's journey, the idea that there really is good people in charge of the world and they just want to save the earth. And, and if that is true, if we buy into that myth, if we let that myth 
meth myth (laughs) that too probably (laughs) if we let that meth or myth uh, affect the sort of mechanics of our worldview uh, then there is no choice but to trust them. It is sort of this, again, going back to ideas like manufactured consent and stuff like that. Uh, but this idea of myth-making and narrative crafting, it is the most important aspect of their plans for the future. And, you know, I've described the narrative creators, the legacy media, the, the uh, elites uh, throwing these events and controlling the the puppet strings. <clears throat> they are almost literally, you can think about it metaphorically if that helps you, but they are, I think it's literal. It's at least metaphorical that they are some sort of magicians. They are practicing a type of magic to exert their will on the world with the written and the spoken word, uh, and it's uh, it, it is literally mythology creating that is having a huge effect on those who just aren't paying attention, unfortunately. Yeah, and what they're creating as well with 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 this new myth is that this is the general good, this is yeah. the general will of the masses. So the spin is. It's not their idea. It's really supposed to be your idea. You're mm. supposed to be a participant in this. And and one of the things I've been teaching here at Miller College, and, and this morning specifically, was on some of the history of modernity, going back, uh, even going back so far as Jean-Jacques Rousseau with the idea of the social contract. Well, in this case, it's, I mean, the, the World Economic Forum is in many respects an ecosystem that builds the social contract. It, it, it brings to itself heads of state. It builds, brings to itself the heads of corporations, banking, finance, uh, special interest groups, the international community. They're all there to build their new myth, to build the consensus around their myth. And then that's sold to us. And of course, there's buy-in, especially with a population that has already been preconditioned through our education system and through non-stop propaganda that we have to save the earth, we have to save the climate, uh, we have to engage in, in the security of everybody else. Um, and, and there's there's power. There's power in being in, in being in charge of of setting the tone for how people are supposed to think and behave. So I don't want to make this a COVID thing, but I I go back to what happened during the COVID years. It was fascinating. I would listen to, in my province, my province had a weekly, sometimes bi-weekly COVID bulletin update. And it was a video press conference, press release kind of thing. And I mean, it was torture to listen to the same thing. And I, I listened to probably half maybe three quarters of them over the course of those two or three years. I mean, it was self-torture, but because it was always the same, the same thing, but it was a really interesting experience in myth-making and the power of suggestion and the power of controlling the language. So I would hear, let's say, our our health official, Dr. Rusin, talk about um, maybe a certain element or a certain aspect about uh, so if one example, uh, if you're unvaccinated, uh, you're selfish. You're selfish. Right. None of my neighbor, none of my neighbors, none of the people in my community would have ever said that. 
But that was repeated in the press conferences, repeated a number of times. Mm. All of a sudden, it's picked up in the media. All of a sudden, it's circulating in our social media posts. All of a sudden, my neighbors are saying this. The people in my community are using this and talking like this as if it's their own thought. Yeah, right. Yeah. When I know they never, even for a moment before this, would have ever entered their mind. Yeah, I think. COVID was that time, especially during the lockdowns, it was eye-opening for a lot of people that had any inkling of critical thinking in their head because they noticed the the trickle down from, like you said, the media to your neighbor, literally. Um, I noticed it. I noticed it myself. Yeah. I did certain phrases that were repeated by people that are in the medical field and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it, it's it was so a matter of, of projecting morals suddenly right. the moral yeah. compass came from the media and the elites instead of uh, even even at the very least a sort of inwardly sourced morality that went away even for the secular crowd and it was suddenly no the government is giving you your morals and people <laughs> jumped right on it maybe because the postmodernism created such a vacuum of of uh, morality or a, a vacuum of principles that people I think were aching yeah. to to be given some morals and some ethics and the elites were able to just step right in dictate morals dictate uh, dictate ethics and suddenly it was it was just like downloaded it was uploaded and downloaded and installed in the souls of so many people almost overnight. Mm -hmm. I think that you could easily write uh, a fairly large volume on the propaganda effects of COVID and yeah. how COVID propaganda was used so successfully yeah. because, because it was a three-year model of intense myth-making and propaganda. I mean, daily, hourly, you couldn't get away from it. Yeah. And so... And so the language was changed. The public mood would change as the narrative coming out of our media, our press, and 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 the spokes spokespeople for our health uh, departments and, and and the health industry was churning out. All of a sudden, you know, the, the lingo, the language, uh, churning out the ideas, saying, making certain statements, making certain claims, and then the public. It was inevitable. You would. Yeah. I mean, it was like clockwork. You could watch it. It would happen. You could you could gauge it. I would even tell my wife, "Well, this is what I heard in the press release from our health officials yeah. uh, with their with their little video press conference." Um, yeah, next yeah. week everybody's going to say the same thing. And and to your to your point, the myth making. You know, again, there might be somebody just uh, coming in contact with this idea for the first time. And just to to put a layer on top of that, if you're thinking, oh, stop it, they're not creating myth, they're not creating a, a, a worldview structure that people were so eager to take up, you see it now. Now that even in the mainstream, a lot of the details of what was true, what was not true at the time, what was just uh, propaganda, what did the data support, uh, even aspects of the mainstream media are reporting these things that a lot of people knew from the very beginning, but was 
of course, demonized at the time. And the response you get from a lot of people, not just in the media, but the people who are were sort of under the thrall of this project was you say it was wrong. They lied. They lied to our faces. They gave us wrong information. In fact, they just invented stuff sometimes out of nowhere simply to create your morals for the moment. And a lot of people are saying, yeah, okay. I mean, I get maybe they lied or they exaggerated, but just because it wasn't true doesn't mean that it wasn't true. And that's what myth is. It's it's truth that is bigger than truth. I call it capital T and little t. Little t is a true fact. Capital T is the truth that is communicated. And, right. you know, you could tell a lie, but have it be big T truth. And sure, maybe the death count wasn't literally true, but the point was that it was really scary and we all needed to band together the, to save everybody's lives. And and that's the power of myth specifically is that it, it doesn't need to literally be true for it to be uh, uh, sort of, well, big T truth, I guess. Impactful, uh, mm -hmm. helping shape and form worldview. Right. Spiritually true or morally true or emotionally true, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The, uh, exactly. And go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Gons. No, 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 please respond. I have something, a different direction that I want to take it. So well, my, 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 yeah, my thoughts, my thoughts were going towards the world economic forum because I know this year's agenda and I'm on their webpage. You can see the webpage. There's four the key, key themes. Um, and speaking about the new myth, this is their new myth. Uh, one of the, one of the big themes is a long-term strategy for climate, nature, and energy. Well, we already know where that's going to go. Then the, uh, then the next platform, the next key theme is artificial intelligence as a driving force for the economy and society. And then creating growth and jobs for a new era. Well, I guess we're going to need some new jobs, right? Yeah. Because everything is going to be transformed, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, what is a job? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Aren't we all going to get a basic income? Yeah. That's mm -hmm. what I thought. Exist existence will be our job in the metaverse. Right. Yeah. And in fact, my country, Canada, is now talking about putting forward a basic income, a guaranteed basic income. And, and, and that may end up becoming an election issue uh, for our next federal election. It's almost as if that's inevitable. That's where we're going. And then finally, the fourth key theme for this year's World Economic Forum is achieving security and cooperation in a fractured world. I'm curious. I'm interested to know where that's going to go, what the conversation is going to be like. Uh, are they going to revisit the idea? Maybe of creating a United Nations um, vanguard military force. Uh, I happen to have a fun little document in English on this side, and because it's a Canadian federal document, this is Canada's 1995 policy position. On this side of the document, it is French. Canada, we have to have both. And so the title is Towards a Rapid Reaction Capability for the United Nations. Uh, I don't know if you can find this. I know there's a PDF copy of it floating out online, but in hard copy, I think it'd be almost impossible now. Uh, so in 1995, the Canadian Liberal federal government proposed that our foreign policy should be to pressure uh, the United Nations to form its own military vanguard force. Uh, 
Okay. Have, a rapid, have a rapid reaction capability, fully secured and under the operational command of the Secretary General, not underneath any national government. And then we would need a United Nations police force along with it to uh, ensure security at a civilian level. Uh, the UN would have its own intelligence apparatus. It would have its own intelligence gathering capabilities. And then there would have to be a global tax to pay for all of this a carbon tax, or maybe a Tobin tax, which is a fee on global currency transactions, but some way of paying for this at the international level. And it was recognized that this would uh, trans transcend or even transgress uh, transgress national sovereignty. Yeah, but of course. That, that's okay. In achieving security, that's what we need. In achieving security, lasting, sustainable global security, we need some type of international force. A vanguard force, one that will go in uh, and, and secure, put a put a foothold down, almost like a SWAT force or a special unit, uh, in the midst of the crisis, and then wait for the for the larger UN contingent to come in behind it, or national contributions to a UN contingent. So when I see that this is, and again, a platform achieving security and cooperation in a fractured world, I am immediately going, hmm. Where is this going to take us? What will this look like? I'm sure they're probably going to be focusing more on things like uh, uh, cybersecurity, those types yeah. of things. Yet, yet at the same time, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if maybe some of that, some of that lingo, some of the ideas of, of, of bringing about some type of global governance structure for collective security will, will come into play. I know NATO uh, is now, I think this is NATO's 75th, is this NATO's 75th year? It's got to be coming up to it. Maybe it's maybe it's past that already. But I know that this is a bit of a milestone this year for NATO uh, and that there are, are academic conferences. I'm looking at attending one in a couple of weeks on um, on what the future of NATO will look like in terms of, of a collective collective security arrangement. So um, it, it's going to be on the it's going to be on the table at some point. What what are we going to do to secure the globe uh, yeah. to bring about global peace and a transition away from from warring parties? Uh, how are we going to how are we going to secure a, a global era of peace and prosperity and and ensure that it is secure in 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 that in that dream or in that desire? Yeah, yes, and, which is yeah. 2024. This year, at the end towards the end of of the summer in September, uh, this year we're going to have the United Nations uh, summit on the future. So. Uh, and some of that will, will definitely be built around the idea of, of international peace, putting forward ideas to somehow uh, ensure international peace. Which is such a great opportunity for the Hegelian dialectic that we've seen over and over and over. 2023, moving into 2024, not only have we seen in the context of the liter uh, liberal rules-based order, as they like to call it, the liberal world's rules-based order, where uh, conflict happens by proxy, you got proxy wars like Ukraine. Uh, then also you've got, of course, Israel-Gaza, uh, where the purpose is sort of unknown. You know, it's this uh, sort of terror terrorist-based um, conflict that we saw uh, in the early 2000s. And of course, we've got uh, sort of a resource-based proxy war building in Taiwan with China. But what tears away the facade of the 
sort of liberal rules-based world order where proxy wars and terrorism and things like that, where every conflict sort of has a veneer, uh, where you can't just say, you know, we want the oil, we want the resources, we want, you know, you can't say that because that's all, that's the old world. It's uh, countries do not have conflict to take resources from one another. But then you have Venezuela moving into Guyana and Mm -hmm. there's no narrative around this. There is, they're not even trying to put the liberal rules-based world order veneer over this. It is Venezuela just saying, we want your oil. We're coming to take your oil, Guyana. Here we come (laughs) to take your oil. And it's this very strange moment that is so unique in that you have blatant conflict about stealing resources. It's not hidden behind, you know, some economic hitman type scheme where we're (laughs) lending billions of dollars to a third world country. And when they can't pay it back, we get their oil fields. All of this stuff that had become so complicated in order to prop up this narrative that we have a liberal rules-based world order. And Venezuela is just like, nope, we're we're taking your oil, Guyana. We're bigger, we're stronger, and we want it. So we're taking it. What a perfect opportunity for the global governing bodies to come together and say, oh, this barbaric moment of Venezuela (laughs) invading Guyana for resources. Oh, how unheard of is this? We need to respond. We need to uh, solve this problem of conflict. I mean, the the timing could not be more perfect for the goal of 2024 (laughs) to redesign international relations. It's so bizarre to me. But but it's transparent. Hey, they were just talking about it. WEF. Hey, they're transparent. So maybe that's about rebuilding trust. Well, that's yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. uh, That that is the part of gaining trust you have to be a little self-deprecating so it makes sense (laughs) you know come on world economic forum get on board so one of the things i was going through the achieving security and cooperation in the fractured world going through the list of talks and you know different things going on there's tons of them some of them that jumped out to me we have a special address by lee kiang i think premier of the people's republic of china that should be interesting um and of course Vladimir, Vladimir Zelensky will address the world. Wow, good <laughs> no for surprise. him. He's yeah. still getting gigs. That's <laughs> good, yeah. Al Gore will make his appearance mapping solutions for extreme <laughs> weather. Some, they're bringing out the old guns, you know. I, I don't know anybody who believes this guy anymore, but apparently they'd, they'll just have him roll out there and yell about climate change for uh, for a little while. We got uh, Faith in Action. This one was very interesting. I'll read the little blurb here. It's on the 17th of January with over 80% of the global population adhering to religious and spiritual traditions. The influence of faith continues to shape transformations, whether economic, social, cultural, technological, or environmental. How can partnerships involving faith actors be catalysts for solutions and dialogue rather than division at this time of rapid change and polarization? Any thoughts? Faith actors. Yeah, well, they faith admit here, actors. they admit that 80% of the world's population has is adheres to religious and spiritual traditions. So they know that, once again, maybe, you know, they're not really popular amongst the 
people that are religious and spiritual in tradition, just in general. That's why yeah. they're trying to create their own well, spirit, yeah. spiritual religion. Again, the transparency of, of this part of the document is, hey, we need to take control of the faith community. We need to find <laughs> faith actors to be our representatives, to be our agents, to be our operators, so that we can have the influence in the faith community. We've discovered that, yeah, we can tear a lot of people away from the idea of faith, but the people we can't, we can't we're just going to infiltrate, get them on our side, and then boom, we got control. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, you got to remember the Number one basic goal of every organization is to preserve itself and grow itself. There is no exception. And you can see them picking their targets. Hey, we took a lot of people away. Our very We did our very best through ideology and censorship to uh, tear people away from the very idea of faith so that we can replace uh, the hole that that leaves to fill the vacuum with our own morality. And look at that. Lo and behold, we can have a very easy time of installing our, you know, government elite based morality into people's hearts and souls. Uh, but there are still those pesky religious people. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, a couple know. <laughs> of holdouts, couple of holdouts here. Well, well time to send in the <laughs> operators. We got to get our faith actors into position. Yeah. Yeah. And Carl, you were able to get uh, your hands on a, I guess there was a survey that was going out to, was it the religious community or what the faith people that are involved here? Um, Cause I saw you share a link from a blog, 30 pieces of org, And it had transcribed a faith survey that the world economic forum had. The link is dead for me, but it looks like mm. there's some, uh, some text there is what, what is that document? If you can, if you don't mind sharing. Can you hear me, Carl? Yeah, no, I could hear you. You're coming through, uh, unfortunately with a lot, with a lot of echo. Oh, okay. I, I was able, I think to, to get the just of it. Yes. The, the world economic, the world economic forum did put out this faith survey and I did receive, I did, I did manage to get a copy of it. I didn't receive it, but I was able to get a, uh, uh, open the link and, uh, download the, the survey itself. And, and bottom line is it's, it's a feeler. It's looking to find those faith actors who are going to come to the global table and, and, uh, basically, uh, fight for climate justice. Fight for fight for equality. Work for 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 global citizenship and global stability, and to bring the the health pardon me the 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 faith community on board with with health initiatives. And I mean, this isn't actually surprising at all. If we want to if we want to understand actually where internationalism and this idea of a, of of building heaven on earth comes from, it really is first and foremost a religious. Um, a religious construct the the international order where when it was really birthed came about from the 1893 parliament of world religions in chicago that was the tipping point that was a tipping point for everything the 1893 parliament birthed the idea that man could through our collective action through our unification of both religion and politics and social betterment we could create a new 
form of a of, of a kingdom of earth, pardon me, kingdom of heaven on earth. And then in uh, the the early days before World War One, between 1900 and roughly 19, 1912, 1913, 1914, in that era, you had the the social gospel movement that came on board as well. In fact, there was a lot of social gospel actors who were involved at the 1893 Parliament, and they believed that the, it was the church's duty. It was absolutely the Christian duty to help um, spread the gospel of a new international faith, a new international righteousness. That was their language. And they became the, the foremost advocates for the League to Enforce Peace, which eventually, eventually became the League of Nations, and then, of course, spun out eventually towards the creation of the United Nations during World War II, which incidentally, no, not incidentally, absolutely purposefully, was uh, really pressed forward by the Christian community. Um, so much so that the Federal Council of Churches instituted documents or, or published documents. Uh, this was entitled A Just and Durable Peace, a whole series of documents from the Christian community making the claim that the most important thing that we could do as Christians was work for international economic cooperation. We need to instill some form of, of global authority, a global political economic authority, mm. uh, a new social arrangement around world federalism. So the church has been, I'm saying that very loosely, the church has been involved in a significant way and I trace a lot of this uh, in my book, but there's a, a whole backstory that needs to be explored extensively. Yeah. Um, in 2010, I went to the G8 World Religion Summits uh, meeting in Winnipeg, Manitoba. That year, the G8 was taking place, the political side in Toronto. And in Winnipeg, the, the faith community was gathering for the uh, G8 World Religion Summit. And now every year, when the G8 and the G20 meet, there is an interna international uh, interfaith forum for, for faith leaders to help flesh out policies and, and, and guidance documents and action items for the political leaders uh, to endorse. And it's almost like you're not sure which is wagging the tail, you know, mm. or which is wagging the dog anymore. Who is it? Is, is it coming from the faith community? Is it from, coming from the political community? And um, during the 2010 uh, World uh, Religious Summit, it was interesting to note the language and how the religious community very quickly recognized that because of the size of their constituents, so for an example, the Anglican Church has, has a global footprint. The Catholic Church has a global footprint. Uh, Baptists and a number of evangelical denominations have a, a regional and even global and continental footprint. And how their constituents cross borders, that they are truly global and have a global reach. And all of a sudden the realization, and it was, it was I mean, I've heard it, it was audible, where they talked about themselves as being the glo new global statesmen, faith mm. leaders, will become... Wow the global statesman for a new international order of fairness and righteousness and peace and security and sustainable development and all the buzzwords from the United how Nations. We, how do we measure that? It's the same thing. How do we measure something like that? Like how, how are they keeping track? <laughs> Gons, it's not about measuring anything. <laughs> it's about continuing the myth, continue, continuing the narrative. The whole world can go to hell in a handbasket. Everything can explode <laughs> and, and go to pieces and they'll be going, well, okay, we're going to move forward now. 
build back better. Yeah. Well, they're going to have a talk. Need a measure. They're going to they're going to have a talk on the global cooperation barometer. <laughs> they can measure <laughs> it are. now. They can measure how much cooperation we're doing. It's fantastic. It's a nice way to say we're going to surveil everything you guys are doing, and uh, you know you keep track of all all of your activities. Um, and then part of that uh, is geopolitical coopetition possible. Have you heard the word coopetition? Like, no, this is a good one. Like a cooperation and competition squished together for a coopetition. Sounds like a Klaus Schwab, you know, a brilliant moment in the in the, in the back room with Klaus. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I guess here we go. This is how we do measure now. We now we know, right? Golly, I, I always took it the old school way of measuring things. You know, last year we, we blew up a whole bunch of co- countries of smithereens. This year, let's not do that. I think that'd be a really good oh, barometer. But- hey, you know, <laughs> different people have different standards. That's um, right. <laughs> but the the faith discussion I do find interesting because it it the church in America, it's it's a fascinating thing to look at the decline of the church in the US, or at least in the West. We've seen the decline of church. And fascinatingly enough, there's a rise of Christianity, sort of an underground Christianity happening in places like China, places like uh, India. I think there's an underground Christianity that's that's booming. Iran. Iran's a big underground Christian community booming. So, And we don't hear about it too much in the West. But it's fascinating how the war, the, the World War III context that Basil and I has, have been trying to wrap our minds around, I know it's this multipolar world order war type situation going on, but really it's a East versus West type of situation. And either you're with the East and Russia, China, authoritarian regimes, or you're with the West and NATO and the U.S. and democracy, quote unquote. And that, that's been the divide, the, the teams, the grandeur teams of the divide and conquer. Um, but if, if the underground church is rising in places like Iran and China and out here in the West, Americans and Christians, especially in the West, are like, hey, we need to do something about China. We need to do something. You know, we recently, I think, got a little bit more into a type of war with Iran. So I, I don't know. It's just it makes me worried that out here in the West, we're going to buy this thing about, hey, down with, and by the way, we've been against the CCP in China and we get it. We get that it's a bad government, but there are people that live there that have nothing to do with the government. There are oppressed people. So, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about the propaganda hitting us to the point where let's just go ahead, drop, drop bombs on China. Let's, let's end or, you know, escalate depending on where we are at that point. Um, the war and, and let's try to recoup that way because eventually these elite folks, when they don't get what they want, they're going to, throw tantrums, then they might blow stuff up more so than they already have in the last year or so. And uh, yeah, your thoughts, Carl, on some of that, because man, it, it seems like the World War Three aspect can only work if there is a religious um, sort of, a, uh, I don't know, prompting or a triggering of, of religious people. I think the Israel-Gaza conflict is sort of indicative of maybe what's to come worldwide in that regard oh i i would agree that there that there is a, a tremendous role that religion will be playing in this uh, religious leaders um at the parliament of world religions this last summer uh, i ended up going to a, a workshop on um divesting in in fossil fuels and it was led by uh karina gore al gore's daughter mm. and and the the and i didn't know churches did this 
but the investment arm of two or three major mainline denominations and the largest Islamic organization in the U.S. And, and they were talking about how faith groups can come together and, uh, and, and essentially uh, be involved in divesting uh, or forcing the divestment in, in the petroleum industry and shutting it all down. And they were doing this all, of course, in the name of climate change and preserving, preserving um, uh, uh, you know, the natural environment. But at the same time, as I'm listening to them, I'm like, you're going to be killing people. I mean, you literally are going to be killing people. Right. Uh, how ridiculous. But I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, uh, what does it matter what the little people think, right? Mm, yeah. So let, let me give you a quote from Bertrand Russell, the mm. uh, the uh, famous humanist philosopher yep. of the last century. And I've got my, my screen up and open from, from this morning's uh, lecture. And here's a quote from Bertrand Russell. It, 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 it fits. It fits the, the mood. I do not pretend that birth control is the only way in which population can be kept from increasing. There are others. War, as I remarked a moment ago, has hitherto been disappointing in this respect, but perhaps bacteriological war may prove more effective. If a black death could be spread throughout the world once in every generation, survivors could procreate freely without making the world too full. There would be nothing in this to offend the conscience of the devout or to restrain the ambitions of nationalists. The state of affairs might be somewhat unpleasant, but what of that? Really high-minded people are indifferent to happiness, especially other people's. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Bertrand Russell is sort of a famous occultist as well. Yeah, and then in, 19, in 1959, he said this, I believe that owing to men's folly, a world government will only be established by force and will therefore be at first cruel and despotic. But I believe that it is necessary for the preservation of a scientific civilization and that if once realized, it will gradually give rise to the other conditions of a tolerable existence. Um, no, thank you. I don't want to live in your world. Uh, no, thank you, Mr. Russell. Uh, you, you know, all with your all high-minded vision of the anointed ideals of of ruling the world, and and okay, maybe we have to have a little bloodshed. And well, whose is that? Whose bloodshed is that going to be? Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> little ones, little people. It doesn't right. matter. Wow. You know, just like let's invest in fossil fuels and destroy the petroleum industry. Oh, it doesn't matter that you're not going to have the energy to heat your homes anymore. It's in, I'm in Canada. On Friday, it's supposed to be minus 32 or minus 35. Yeah, okay. Yeah, how long can you live without fuel and survive in a situation like that? I, you know, not long. Thank you very much. So it, it comes around to this. We've got the, these high ideals, and, and we are going to create a, a system of global stability and global peace and global prosperity. And, and it's a utopian dream that becomes a utopian nightmare, and it always becomes a utopian nightmare. It always becomes a mess. I'm always happy when it fails, in, in, at least before it ever hits the realm of practical action. You know, it's not like their ideas always come to fruition. I've been in yeah. enough of their meetings, enough UN meetings and World Federalist meetings. I've heard the rhetoric. I've heard the plans. I've, I've watched it all unfold. And at the same time, I've watched as they have gone to war with one another, not a shooting war, but verbal wars, ego wars, budget wars, because, I mean, everybody's got a stake in this and everybody wants to be king of the castle, right? And so they don't always get along. And I've watched this 
projects and the plans and ideals have, have crumbled. And I'm like, yay, good. Here's one ideal. Here's one idea. I'm going to quote this from my book, Game of Gods. This is Thomas Schelling. Thomas C. Schelling was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and a, a key, key individual in uh, wargaming theory. And in the 19, I believe this is the 1960s. Uh, yeah, 66 or so, hmm, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, he was outlining what an international force should look like. Mm. Uh, and let me just quote a few sections from, from his own document that I've posted inside Game of Gods. And he's describing how an international force could maybe control a country with non-nuclear weapons if the authority held uh, military units within a country to ease in deployment. He goes on, the purpose of being within the country, other than ceremonial, would be to minimize the cost and delay of invasion, occupation, or selective destruction. The force could occupy Moscow with reliable, more reliably with ground forces located 30 miles away. An amphibious landing on the coast of Japan, France, or the United States would be harder than just moving troops already located within these countries. Then he goes on to talking about how maybe the peace coalition forces or the international forces could pre-place explosives within critically vulnerable parts of the country's services, economies, utilities, wow. and putting all this in the hands of the international force. He went on to say uh, to the effect of he would liken this to the landlord who shuts off the utilities when a tenant refuses to move. And then he went on to say rather wow. than bomb electric power installations, the force might press a key that sets off a charge of dynamite already installed. But wait, there's more. This gets this gets like into la la land. But hmm, maybe it's not. If one really believed in the reliability and permanence of an international arrangement, such schemes for providing the authority with hostages might be more efficient, even more humane than providing it with bombers and shock troops. One could even go further and let the force have a monopoly of critical medicines to use for bacterial warfare on a transgressor country. As soon as it starts an epidemic, it sends its medical units in to make sure that no one suffers who cooperates. Those wow. who oppose military forces, government leaders, or anyone else are without essential vaccines and must decide for themselves whether to stay at large and suffer or to surrender to be cured. Wow. Wow. Well, I was going to ask you yeah. if, you know, what should people be keeping an eye out for in <laughs> this 2024? Guy. This guy passed. And, uh, you know, what's what signals we can kind of be taking to at least spiritually prepare ourselves for the state of the world in the coming near future. Uh, but that may have answered the question. The, the thing that jumped out <laughs> at me was the, uh, the explosions. We started noticing some more stuff last year, but... Um, and I don't think I've gone on record, but I feel like we're going to see more explosions, just stuff oh, yeah. blowing well, up. Past past couple of years, the fires at all the food processing plants, all the hacks at the water plants. I mean, we've seen different parts of infrastructure just sort of be methodically destroyed. I'm not yeah. saying 
but purposefully, but certainly the history and the the uh, the the uh, metronome yeah. of food processing plants going up in flames over the past few years uh, has led some to be a little <laughs> suspicious. Um, and you know, this could have been uh, who who knows in this sort of situation the those pesky Americans asking too many questions about COVID and oh well, let's see how they can do without a few more chicken plants <laughs> and a few more. A, you know, didn't they blow up a bridge for Biden to show up and talk about his infrastructure bill, or did it, it blow up per- after he left? Timing. I forget yeah. which one it was. Either he arrived right after or right before it blew up or fell apart or something. I forget. I think it was right before it blew up. And so he just <laughs> happened to be there. So he stopped to do a, an event. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Really bizarre. I mean, and and that's the kind of stuff. That is the kind of stuff. That is uh, sort of similar to in 2016 when we watched the World Economic Forum video and they just told us outright that we'll own nothing and be happy. There are quotes from people in these organizations, the very foundational ideas of these global organizations. I mean, you heard it in his own words to hold hostage the population. <laughs> Uh, only offering aid if they uh, conform to the thing. And I think what they're not counting on is the good old American spirit that is starting (laughs) to be rejuvenated a little bit. I will say this. I'll say we don't uh, revel in the positive side of things very often. And I think for 2024, I will resolve to uh, <laughs> to make sure that the optimistic side is laid out. Because one thing we have seen in 2023 is a, a rekindling of that good old American spirit of uh, self-reliance and yeah. freedom and stuff like that. Of course, there are masses who still want to rely on the government and institutions and the global world order and things like that. That's true. But we really have seen a sort of wildfire of people who even even if they fell for it during COVID, they're realizing now what happened. And there's this resurgence of the idea that, you know what, no matter what, I will not rely on what they tell me to do. I'm not going to participate in this or that. And I think they might know that. I think they feel that. I think those trends, I think this is not a one-for-one sort of indication, but I think it is a a clue as to something. I mean, even the way that Trump is doing in the polls, Trump, the polling for the 2024 presidential election – Pretty much has Trump winning every demographic. It was just released. He's he's winning in the 18 to 34 demographic. And, you know, as much as the media would like you to believe that support for Trump and look, I stay apolitical. I'm not here to uh, encourage anybody to vote one way or another or even to vote at all. But uh, the polls are showing that that uh, Trump is unstoppable right now. And for him to have the youth vote, the 18 to 34, unheard of. Republicans have not had the youth vote in my lifetime. And I think more than anything, as much as the media would like to uh, like us to believe that Trump represents 
racism and blah, 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 authoritarianism, all the stuff we're supposed to attach to his name. I think more than anything, it's more specifically the anti-establishment nature of what he represents. And I think the polling for Trump is an interesting indication that anti-establishmentism is is on the rise in response precisely to or, or correlating with the uh, the lack of trust that the World Economic Forum wants so dearly. And I think there have been some some big strides, at least in the context of sort of the culture war or something. You know, the, 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 I, I want to be optimistic. I'm choosing to be optimistic. And if you look at the signs, there is some optimism to have that the anti-establishment, uh, you know, and not anarchist, not you know, not rowdy boys necessarily, but just the anti, uh, you know, what you just read out of your book, anti-holding countries hostage with vaccines, <laughs> anti-holding, <laughs> you know, uh, putting foreign troops on foreign soil so it can Blowing take over at a moment. Uh, anti all of that stuff. I, I, I have to feel optimistic and I do feel optimistic. And I think part of... You know, we are not the biggest podcast in the world. We are not the best podcasters in the world, contrary to popular belief. We are not the most influential people uh, on the Internet. This, these things are all true. Uh, but to look back in our history, and Carl, you are included in that history as well. You've been with us since pretty much the beginning. To know that uh, the culture war as it stands seems to have – aligned with at least the spirit of 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 seeing truth where truth is hidden from our view to knowing that truth is out there and to uh relishing in the fact that we are all individuals uh, created in the image of God with rights and freedoms that can only be taken away when they are given away. These types of ideas. Uh, and so I don't want people to think that, uh, you know, f there's no reason to be optimistic because there is. But the optimism comes from seeing exactly what's going on, watching the trends and forces, being able to see a news event and connect it to a broader collection, a network of information, uh, a lot of which, like I said, Carl, you have brought to light for me, but also just the mode of thinking and seeing the world that makes these things so obvious, I think is uh, a big reason to be optimistic and why I always encourage people to get your book, Game of Gods, and to really not just read it, but sit and think about it and try to identify these things in the world around them. Because I'll tell you what, from experience, it's a much better way to live when you're not letting <laughs> – the, the trends and forces, the principalities and powers of the of this world to dictate your morals, dictate your worldview, dictate your feelings about what's going on, uh, which is something, unfortunately, a large group of people today, they don't even know an alternative. They cannot oh, yeah. see an alternative than to what is being downloaded and uploaded and installed in them through the the sort of mind control apparatus that we have around us uh and so yeah yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And, and there is there is an important uh, there's an important point we have to remember in all of this. This is not just bad news for the sake of bad news. We're trying to understand the trends, understand the times. And then it's it's refreshing when we see some pushback, not in an anarchistic sense, not in, in some destructive way, even though, of course, the left will paint it that way. But when people's backs are pushed to the wall and we see what's coming and we really are feeling it that we're now coming up to the second year of the uh, second anniversary of the trucker convoy here in canada prime example um we were done Perfect. we were done with the nonsense yeah. totally done and and it did make a difference not only did it make a difference in canada there was a ripple effect around the world it spawned and 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 really helped the dutch farmers say we can do the same thing yeah. in our country and mm -hmm. retake the Netherlands. And it did. Right now, as we're doing this broad, uh, th this podcast, uh, the farmers in Germany are following suit. Yep, France as well, I believe. Absolutely. And so, and we saw what happened just in Argentina as well with its change of government. We don't know how all this is going to play out. Sometimes it plays out for the better. Sometimes there's unintended consequences. Sometimes things get all twisted and turned on itself. Nevertheless, we can see that that these are actions meant to say that the individual matters and leave us alone. Yeah. Quit interfering. Quit trying mm. to be the masters of our lives. And then from a Christian perspective, I look at Psalm 33 and I'm going, there's my hope. My hope is found in the one who I am supposed to fear, not man, but God, the one who created the heavens and the earth. And then Psalm 33 goes on to say to the effect of that a horse is a vain hope in your security. Speaking, of course, in military terms, the king, the king and his army, that's a vain hope. God is who our, is where our hope is found in, not in 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 our own strength, and certainly not in the power and the and and the and the and the uh, the the force of uh, of what man can create. Ultimately, our our hand, you know, we we are in the hands of God, and uh, we just want to be responsible, to be truthful, and then to to expound on the importance of freedom and liberty knowing that we are free first because of what christ has done yeah amen amen my goodness how yeah it is such you know along with the changes i mentioned the the shifting of the same people who are waking up to what's going on also a huge shift towards the Lord, towards Christianity. It's been very interesting to watch. Even the most secular of personalities online now talking about, you know, Christian topics or even more specifically, uh, Christian, uh, Christianity's role, Christianity's oh, okay. role in what's going on. It's almost ubiquitous. Secular show after secular show after secular show that I watch of, you know, traditionally, the pessimistic news analysts who love to rag on the Christian right or blah, 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 whatever the case we're seeing, I'm seeing Christian, uh, uh, ideas and God centered pieces of information because what they're seeing is they're looking around and they're seeing, uh, the Christians in their lives, the Christians online, the Christians, you know, in this world where secular morality has been revealed uh, for what it is, the, the sort of Christian principles 
are coming to light and they are admired even by those who who do not believe. And it's really incredible to watch. You know, there, there was a long time there where hiding your light under a bushel was sort of the, uh, the, the instinct, cowardly maybe, but it was the instinct in certain places. And now I'm seeing not only uh, boldness in Christians to come out and talk blatantly, you know, not, not, in, a, not in a defensive way, not in, a, not in a lot of the old ways, which sort of created an unfortunate atmosphere around Christianity, but boldness and matter-of-factness that Christian principles are what is pulling uh, people out of the magnetism of elite-centric morality. Christian principles, ancient principles, principles that have stood the test of time and have uh, supported revolution after revolution after cultural shift after cultural shift. They survived. And, and even those who profess to not be Christians, not believe, they're talking about uh, Christian principles, Christian stories, even Christian myth, they might put it in their own words, uh, but how valuable and how empowering these things are today, which I think is a, this is sort of an overnight shift, maybe over the last year or two I've seen this, uh, but is another reason for some pretty extreme optimism on my part. Yeah, it's optimistic. I, I do think that there is a the danger in politicization when it comes to that stuff. We've talked about the the history of, you know, Truman post-World War II turning the religious people in this country into defenders against communism. And not that we agree with, or I agree with communism, but they that's what they did. They turned a culture of a Bible in one hand, a gun in the other. And, you know, I was actually, I was watching an Oral Roberts uh, preaching. Have you ever watched Oral Roberts actually do some preaching from like the thirties or forties or something like that? It was very interesting because he's talking about spiritual warfare and it was all very compelling. And then the moment you can almost tell the moment he flips on his propaganda role, his voice changes, everything about his countenance, everything changes. And he's screaming about how those evil communists, they're all, right. they're evil, they're demon. It's a very interesting phenomenon. It's like, oh, all the spiritual warfare talk makes sense. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, all these principles that we talk about on this show and then flip all of a sudden, those evil communists. Da, da, da. It was like, whoa, right. what it's happened? It's good to so, keep an eye out for that. I think you're that, right. I mean, that that is a pitfall of what we're seeing. Thankfully, what I'm seeing the most is not politics of Christianity, but it is principles of Christianity. People are seeing yeah. principled people go through this world. And it is so rare to see principled people operating in the public for so long. It is. It was cool. It was encouraged to be unprincipled, to change your mind, to, yeah. to, uh, to align with uh, the powers that be, you know, these types of things. And what principles are, are what remains when the propaganda is gone. Principled yeah. people stick to their principles in face of propaganda. And I think they're, and I'm certainly not talking about every Christian. I'm certainly not talking about a, a, every person who professes to believe. That's not what I'm talking about. But the real principled Christian actors who are not applying their faith to politics, but their principles come from their faith and they apply those principles in 
every situation. These are not necessarily the Christian nationalists, not necessarily Trump supporters, not necessarily, you know, uh, very popular preachers or anything like this, but true down home, you know, working class, whatever principled people. They are a treasure right now. And people are looking around to truly the principled people and, and are inspired in ways that I don't think have uh, been sort of, uh, 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 agreed upon or approved of by the masses for a very long time. And it's because in a world like ours, a principled person is a rebel is a rebel like it's that's rebel. the punk yep. rock it is punk rock rebellious co- leather jacket motorcycle riding cool <laughs> guy is the guy who's principled today <laughs> and that's not just me a you know dorky christian kid trying to sound good and feel good to other christians i think this is you can really see this if you tune in i mean even just listen to whatever joe rogan tim pool these types of people self-proclaimed not Christians, but they are talking about Christian principles, Christian people, Christian actions, Christian, uh, you know, everything. And they are impressed with it. They'll, they'll make sure to say, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe, but man, these guys are really on something right now, aren't they? Look at them mm. go. And we'll see, you know, we'll see th- how the pendulum sw- shifts though. I think that of is an course, effect of, of the course. pendulum We're just swinging. getting started though. I think we are just <laughs> getting started. Uh, we got, we got a good five, 10 years before things uh, start clamping down in the wrong direction. But you know what well, the answer is in that five, 10 years when the pendulum swings again, I'll tell you what it's principles. And that's going to make a big difference, not only in our personal lives, uh, but in inspiring the people around us. Uh, And I will say it's nice to have such a principled guy on the show, Carl. (laughs) Really appreciate your your participation in the revolution. Well, hey, you know. I, I, I'm very fortunate. I've got uh, people who are really supportive, my wife, my kids, uh, the people who are who are near and dear to my life. And, and then I take a look at, at the folks like yourselves. I mean, you're right. We, we've we've go back a ways. We've we've done this. We've done a few broadcasts together, and I, I very much appreciate the opportunities to do this because we're 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 trying to make a difference. We are trying to make a difference, and yeah, we screw up. I screw up. I know I'm a failure. I, we all we all screw up to some degree. There's no question, and yet at the same time, we keep moving forward because there's a responsibility. We know we have a responsibility, and so we keep plugging ahead, and, and we keep doing this year after year, and. Decade after decade, uh, and we we know that 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 is the right thing to do. And in many respects, it's that is a principled position already. We 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 see that this is important, too important to ignore, too important to leave. Uh, we have a responsibility, not just to to future generations, not to just my kids and my future grandkids, but to what is truth, and to who is true. And I think that's that's a part of of what makes us who we are. Yeah. Amen. 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 So uh, to, to wrap up the conversation here and, and just to kind of touch on so many of the things that we talked about, you know, creating mythology, which I think speaks into the topic of predictive programming. You talk about Hollywood and, and the messaging that happens there. 
um, as well as through politicians, celebrity types, the and art being a very important part of delivering this because it's much easier to do it through art and culture than it is through any other way. So the World Economic Forum is uh, they just announced their 2024 Crystal Award. Uh, so meet this year's winners. It was three of them. It's uh, Diebedo Francis Carrere, Michelle Yeoh, and Niall Rogers. I don't know about the other two, but this is how they are described. They're described as um, uh, at the World Economic Forum in Davos. We celebrate the enduring contributions to society of exceptional artists. The cultural leaders receiving the 2024 Crystal Award are bridge builders, to your point, Carl, about these people being out there to connect everybody. They connect us to each other. They help us reflect on the human condition. thought that was interesting. Like, okay, they're the ones that are determining the, the human condition for the rest of us. Hmm. The, and they provide visions of the world that can cut through the limitations of short-term or linear thinking. So the grandeur, forget all the little T truths that we got wrong. We want the look over here for the big T truth. Um, And the individuals here that were awarded again, I I don't know about these other two fellows, but I wanted to highlight Michelle Yeoh because of course she's a famous actress, uh, Asian actress, and she's been in a bunch of really popular movies. Tomorrow never dies. uh, Crouching tiger, hidden dragon, memoirs of the geisha, sunshine, the lady, crazy rich Asians. And the movie that definitely tripped us out. I mean, I didn't see the whole thing. I've only seen parts of it, but uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. She is the main character in that film. And for those who remember the googly eyes, eyes, a very important role in this show. And this happened to come out after Basil was doing his googly eye nonsensical. Oh yeah. I lit a fire. I lit a fire fire. in popular culture that googly eyes are the symbol of Uh, something. Yes. Something being watched truth that uh, spans all the multiverse or something like that. I mean, this film is, I mean, talk about uh, the, uh, what was it? Uh, trauma-based mind control and things like that. There's trauma. There's splitting of personality. I mean, the whole thing is in there, but the googly eyes is sort of the thread I that s- connects all worlds. I said when I first saw it, when it first came out, that uh, if there is a multiverse, that uh, Basil from a different multiverse is <laughs> trying to communicate by <laughs> sending this movie through the portal. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. And the, the perfect messaging. So, um, and yeah, and I think the uh the multiverse thing has been very important in delivering you know the the type of worldview that you're talking about carl because it's sort of the anything goes mm-hmm. type of situation oh no it's, it's everything goes i'm sorry mm-hmm. everything goes yeah everything so anything so nothing goes but right um yeah go ahead carl you have some thoughts on that no i mean yeah so so here we have we have the narrative um we have the narrative moving forward in culture. We have the narrative, and, and and we award. Obviously, we award those who, who will further and advance that narrative. Uh, the, the European Parliament has something similar. It's called the Lux Prize, and the Lux Prize is um, light. Lux, of course, meaning light, mm-hmm, is awarded yeah. is awarded to European filmmakers who uh, advance the idea of tighter European integration, European federalism, and the the European community as a whole. And the Lux Prize is really interesting because the shape of the Lux Prize is a a piece of of movie film, just a 
a film oh. strip shaped in a in a conical fashion uh, like the Tower of Babel. And, and a ziggurat. It's a yeah, ziggurat. It's a ziggurat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in fact, awesome. in their in their one of their professional fact sheets, and I have oh, a copy man. of it, and and I and I quote it in my book. Uh, they make no uh, illusion to what this is about. They are very open by saying that that this is representative of Babel, but that they are putting a positive spin on the myth, a positive spin on the ancient myth, and now are bringing about a reunification. And so, of course, we've got to have our prizes at the World Economic Forum. We've got to have our prizes at the at the at the European Parliament as as we have uh, as we have our our vanguard forces moving out into the culture, right? Yeah. yeah. So maybe, maybe what we need to have is a canary cry prize. I know. Uh, we, yeah. We got to start giving prizes out. That's right. And, and of course, that. That, that is one way that the left does operate very well. I mean, that's actually mm. a lesson is that the left will take, they will award each other, build each other up, and then press that into the culture, press that into, into, the, into, into media, make that a big deal. And in doing so, it advances their cause. I'm not saying we emulate them, but we recognize that, okay, um, we be, need to build each other up rather than tear each other down. Yeah, that's a good strategy. There is, there is an unfortunate instinct on, uh, online and in alternative and independent media that, you know, there's a zero sum game that you got to win over the other guy. You got to get more listeners. You got to get whatever you got to disagree. You got to point out what's wrong with them. You got to do all these things. Uh, thankfully, I think there's some influence going in the other direction, but yeah, why not? Why wouldn't we? give each other accolades, build each other up. Why wouldn't we appreciate <laughs> each other for the, you know, the, 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 the good things that we've done and the things that make uh, other podcasters and truth tellers or whatever, at least seekers in that degree, uh, make them special and make them influential in the first place. I mean, if nobody else is going to do it, we might as well do it. Might as well. <laughs> there you go. Just add it to the list of things. Yeah, that's right. Your 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 prize could be something fashioned after googly eyes. I don't know. Yeah, it it must be. It's the sig- <laughs> it has to be. I mean, and that's kind of the thing because as I'm thinking about this, now we're just brainstorming. Let's let's do some brainstorming here. We're having our thinking, own uh, Davos here. This is our own yes, yes. type of Davos. Yes. Yeah, I was gonna say. So if we're gonna start giving out prizes, you know, my first instinct is like, who cares about us? Nobody cares about us. Nobody's gonna. But I mean, who doesn't want a prize? You you send off some emails. People who win prizes, they're gonna take the prize. They're going to talk about the prize. They're going to show it off on their show. It's, we just need somebody to be giving the prizes out. That could be us. I think this, I, you know, like you said, we're not trying to necessarily emulate, but it is a good strategy just to, and if not a strategy, take the, take the word strategy out of it. It's just a nice thing to do. To let another person feel appreciated. And even if we're just giving out prizes just to make others feel appreciated, isn't that nice enough? Come on now. And yeah, of course, we'll want them to show it off on their show and send people to uh, check us out or whatever. But you know what? Giving out prizes for prizes sake. You know what? I'm going to do it right now. Guns. I'm oh boy, you a here prize. we go. Domain. 
Are you giving me a prize? prize right now? You get the the old high school headphones award for doing such a good job today. They see that that's a those those have been around for about twenty years. Yep, those are yours. And Carl, (laughs) thank you. Carl, I'm going to give you a prize. It's called the Giant Water Jar Prize. That's <laughs> right. Giant water jar with the metal thing. And, uh, you know, that's just indicative of uh, how good you are at filling us up with knowledge and perspective. <laughs> there you go. A couple of prizes. Go show I got that it. off. Awesome. I Love got it. it. Love it. We need Easy we need done. to get the the Paracas skull, you know, the Nephilim skull, uh-huh. and put some googly eyes on it. Of that course. could be the trophy. That's a good trophy. There you that's go. That's one that somebody would put on the shelf behind them on their that, set. Of th- their that's what I'm saying. YouTube show. Yeah. All right, we'll get on. Make it, it. pure we'll gold. Pure gold. That's expensive. That might be the best idea that came out of this whole conversation. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. Okay. Well. All right. Well, Gons, are you good? Have you covered all the topics? Yes, sir. Yeah, I think we got everything. I think we've uh, taken enough of Carl's time here. Good. Carl, do you feel good? Is there anything left unsaid? This has been wonderful. Thank you guys for for inviting me on the program. And it's an absolute pleasure to be with you on this first broadcast of 2024. Absolutely. And we're so happy to have you. We're going to continue to bring you back on because uh, I think officially you are the most featured guest on the show. We just love your work so much. The people uh, always get something new and profound out of what you're doing. And folks, make sure to go get Game of Gods, Carl's uh, sort of prized work, in my opinion. Uh, Do you have anywhere specifically that you'd like people to purchase the book from or engage with your work or just kind of wherever it can be found? Wherever it can be found, you'll find it obviously on Amazon. You can go to gameofgods.ca because it's a Canadian webpage. Canada. Yeah, and gameofgods.ca can give you, you can read excerpts of the book and, uh, and and check out the bibliography and a few other things. And then Forcing Change, which is the archive of my old magazine, Forcing Change. Uh, forcingchange.org is free. It's um, All you have to do is, is, is log in with your email and have access to all the back issues of Forcing Change magazine. And there's nine years of back issues. They're older already, but it's an incredible wealth of information. And uh, in both places, you'll find links uh, taking you back to Amazon so that you can that you can order the book. Yeah. And like I said, I know we've pitched your book just dozens of times before, but the point is that uh, for me, folks, it's about informing your way of thinking you know if you'll look at the world around you the news stories the everything and more than anything it will uh, shape the way that you perceive what's going on in the world and i think that might be the most powerful uh and valuable part about it so go check it out game of gods by carl tykrib find it wherever you can forcing change uh i actually have not explored that so i'm going to go explore that now uh and thank you carl of course but thank you to all the listeners out there Mm -hmm. we really appreciate you guys tuning in once again we hope you got another big uh, chunk of info or inspiration or whatever from this episode with Carl. Uh, Of course, we'll be back to our Canary Cry News Talk format. If you're listening to this Canary Cry radio and you have not yet checked out Canary Cry News Talk, 
go check it out. We're putting all this, uh, all these principles into practice over there on that show. But of course, we're going to be coming out with more interviews soon. So uh, we appreciate you listening, watching this episode of Canary Cry Radio. We hope you tune in next time. But until then, think outside the cage. If you made it this far into the episode, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. But you might be wondering, why is there 15 minutes left on the clock? Well, it's because I thought I'd tag on here a clip from episode 703 of Canary Cry News Talk titled Game of Trust. It was published on January 5th, 2024. And Basil and I break down the company that was mentioned in the discussion with Carl. Yes, we trust. And the reason why I wanted to tag this is because... The website, yeswetrust.com, is currently down, and maybe they're changing up some things. So just for the record, this is what we saw. So here we go. All right. So, you know, it's the beginning of the year, which means Davos. You know, every year there's Davos. People like us cover it. You know, we've been talking about uh, all the uh, elite getting together and talking about the future and how to shape the world and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so, and with the rise of Elon to a new stratosphere of popularity in the last year, it's interesting where the world economic forum is taking things. So this is straight from the world economic forum.org and the headline here, driving trust, paving the road for autonomous vehicles. Sounds, Yay. sounds good. You know, so let me just read uh, some of the bullet points here. We need to rebuild trust in autonomous vehicles. This includes public acceptance and trust between public and private sectors. And if you've been around, you know about public-private partnerships. The late Joan Vion is who I learned it from. She was a Christian. She was on YouTube in like 2008, 2007, calling out private or public-private partnerships, PPP, as a way that, you know, the nation state is ending, so to speak. Um, and, you know, corporatocracy taking over. To realize the safety benefits that the technology promises, strong global collaboration is necessary. Um, and the first line here, rebuilding trust is the theme of the 2024 annual meeting in Davos. Oh, aren't you glad okay. we're rebuilding trust? We build, we must rebuild the trust. These guys are obsessed with this. I mean, as they should, <laughs> but they are obsessed. I think it was last year's Davos where we got, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, where we got all those great sound clips from the stage at Davos about how nobody trusts us anymore. Yeah, no, no, no. This was, uh, mm -hmm. we're losing control. I think that was last year. There was uh, last year was cooperating cooperation in a fragmented world. The year before that was history at a turning point. Government policies and business strategies. Uh, the year before that was COVID, and then the year before that was stakeholders for a cohesive, sustainable world. Mm. Um, and it goes on here. But yeah, yeah. Last year was the first time we noticed that their 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 whole thing was like, yeah, we gotta we gotta get some trust back from uh, the public because it's not working out too well. Um, you know the way things are going. So. Basically, you know, this, uh, this <laughs> let me go back to the World Economic Forum here. Trust is hard to earn and easy to lose. Mm -hmm. Andrea Call Morgan, CEO of Simulitic, a Siemens AG venture. Trust is hard to earn and easy to lose has never been truer than 
for automated vehicle technology to earn the trust of the general population. Continuous and targeted engagement with all stakeholders is paramount for that. We need to have language because stakeholders are the influencers. They're the ones you know, disseminating how cool this tech is for that. We need to have language and messaging that speaks transparently. Remember I talked about transparency is going to become a trend. Here we are. I called that Not even a, a couple trend. years ago. It's more than a trend. It's, it's a, a thing. It's a, yeah, a moral sort of virtue. Soapbox. Yeah, for, the virtue. Yeah, for the propagandists. Yeah, for that we need to have language and messaging that speaks transparently to this audience and steers clear of industry jargon. Collaboration signals transparency and trust among those developing AVs for roads, vehicles, heavy industry, etc., this inherently reduces threats and unknowns of highly complex technology. Uh, so there you go. The future we want to build cannot be achieved without collaboration and transparency. A lot of transparency. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting that this was the theme uh, going into Davos. And then I found this on Cointelegraph.com. That's a crypto site, but, you know, they're a news outlet. And uh, a lot of people are skeptical about the sourcing of Cointelegraph seems to be sort of a mouth mouthpiece of the establishment, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They had a headline here. Yes, we trust all one word. Yes, we trust announces trust in tech day during world <laughs> economic forum, Davos, Switzerland. Woo. Trust in tech day. Wow. And, uh, the article here, <laughs> Zurich, Switzerland. Yes, we trust is hosting a five day event called the house of trust in Davos, Switzerland. <laughs> during the World Economic Forum between January 14th and the the 19th. They're going to talk about the importance of trust in tech, including Web3 and AI. They have all these people lined up. They have a panel of speakers on the impact of the tokenization of real-world assets, unlocking a new era of ownership, trading, and investment. Mm. Are you ready for this, Basil? Tokenize. Tokenize Tokenization. This this has to do with the, uh, the carbon... Stuff carbon too. tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's already crypto projects doing the whole carbon thing. Yeah. Um, so I took a look at this website. Okay. I went to yeswetrust.com and uh, you go there and it's very, do you remember the joke about uh, from uh, who was the, he's a man who passed away. He was, had a very famous line about how it's a big bleeping club and you're not in it. There was yeah, a comedian. George Carlin. George Carlin. So, <laughs> Think of that as a setup here. Yes, we trust. Join the most impactful members club of humanity. Oh, my gosh. Why Why do they always have this language? Why is it always like Because they love it. They want to bring... It's that, so weird. That's the, that's the whole appeal. They want to gather together the people who want to be special, who want to be in a secret club. You know why? Because we have a name for those people, and they're elitists. This is literally elite bait that they're putting out. They're Listen trawling to this. for elites. Listen to how they outline. Begin your own hero's journey. So they're already oh referencing, God. yeah. How do you start the journey? Some James download, Campbell. Or, sorry, <laughs> download Joseph, the app. Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. That's right. Um, yeah. Download the app. First step. Okay. Join oh, the community. That's experience, always the first step. <laughs> experience the ecosystem. Unlock the benefits. Yeah. You want to be part of the commun- community of elite? You have to download the app first. Uh, and then Trust feel the more... Yeah, feel more alive. 
feel more alive from the app. You create positive habits. You monitor your water consumption. Mm. Okay. Meditation and breathing exercises, sports and yoga. Build the life of your dreams with affirmations. Follow your personal journey. Okay. Yeah. Surveil yourself. That's basically what you're being pushed into here. Find your purpose. What? Who are the target? Uh, this is th- a it cult. sounds like they're targeting broken people. This, this is what it is sounds a cult. like. They are starting a cult. This sounds like every cult, every self-help self-help cult that started, you know, in LA, you're trying to you're trying to people are trying to make it big, they're trying to become better people. This is how Scientology brings people in. This is how Nexium brought people in. It's yeah. all about becoming your best self. This is literally a cult. Find your purpose, join educational programs, explore tailored journeys. What? Tailored journeys? What are these like techno Calvinists? Very weird. <laughs> Get inspired from community. Uh, achieve financial freedom. Hey, you get to do all this stuff and you get to be rich. What do you think? And here are the, the perks, the, the bullet points under achieve financial freedom. Get funded. All right. Great. Uh-huh. Earn. Yes, we'll make your world come true. You'll get all the money. This get is funded. what Scientology promises too. Earn for living a healthy lifestyle. Hmm. Okay. For, so for being a good person, get paid for, to be a I, good I think it's all based on uh, biometric stuff with the app and, you know, you yeah. walk in 10,000 steps. Oh, we'll give you some coin. You know, totally. we'll give you some, yes, we trust coin. Content creation. Hello. They're yes. trying to get people to create content. They're, well, they're trying to uh, make disciples, make yeah, it's uh, evangelists. It's um, it is yeah. literally Scientology. What are we <laughs> talking it's about? Here? It's it's weird. That's that's why I was like, hey, okay, uh, this is what they're bringing into the World Economic Forum for the Day of Trust or whatever it's called. Yeah. Bring your vision alive, yada yada. So, will you remind old. me? This is this is not created by the World Economic Forum. No, right? no, no. Being... So this is, yeah, this is a group called Yes We Trust that is being featured to uh, run a. Trust in Tech Day at Davos. So they're brought in as sort of a they're a Swiss a Swiss tech company is what they are, and they have they were brought in to sort of facilitate this conversation. Is this at a Davos. .com or a .org? Yes, dot we com. trust. Yes, com. we trust. Dot com. Yeah, create impact. I, I would be curious. Uh, the CEO here and founder Stefan Kanagla or Kanalga. Uh, who knows? This might be a fake person. You, know, you never know with this kind of stuff anymore. His quote here, it's our time to create generational change that has a lasting positive impact for the entire human race. Oh, I forgot that I'm not showing that. So, okay. Sorry. This the the new screen sharing thing is uh, different on the stream there. So sorry if I'm talking about something and not showing the thing that I'm talking about. That's a mistake on my part. That's but those, okay. yeah. That, yeah. We're making it work. So, you know, it's really strange. Every mm. page on yeswetrust.com for me says mm-hmm. coming soon. So, you know what? Something did. Yeah, maybe there was a, uh, yeah, I did look at some stuff. Um, the ecosystem Trust point is what I wanted to find out more about, but then I got the, uh, yeah, coming soon. 
So <laughs> they don't even have they don't they don't have anything together yet. No, you know? it's, and, it's exclusivity. It's mystery. It's coming uh, soon. Stay engaged. The um the the thing that I saw was the ecosystem. When you're on this search page, it just pop. You know, you get a little blurb. Yeah. Ecosystem. Yes, we trust allocates twenty percent of membership fees to charity. So you have to pay a membership fee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that one of the things that said on their website was that ten percent of uh, what your your membership fee or whatever goes to charity, ten percent goes to something else, and then you know whatever eighty percent goes to them. <laughs> yeah, because they're helping you find your best life. You see, it's part of the whole process. It is absolutely insane. It's insane, if, right? If okay, was, I'm not crazy. If there was never, I mean, if there was ever a reason at all to trust the World Economic Forum at all, which by the way, there's not. But if Somebody was not already totally aware that we should not be trusting the WEF, the people who are obsessed with getting you to trust them. It's all they talk about every year is how do we get people to trust us? I know what we'll do. We will support a literal cult that, <laughs> that uses the exact same language as all those Nexium Scientology, every sort of secular cult that started in the 20th century, we'll use the exact same idea, but we'll make it all techy. You know, people like tech people, the Silicon Valley, uh, uh, what's they called? Altruism, uh, what, yeah. what is it? Effective, Effective altruism. altruism. Yeah. yeah, they're gonna, they're all gonna be about, you know, polyamory. It's gonna be a whole thing. <laughs> How to effectively scam millions of people out of billions of dollars, but do it for the good of humanity. Right. Yeah. So there you go. You, a lot says a lot about what kind of people the World Economic Forum want to put out the trust in the technology message, which, uh, you know, again, if you're not aware, Bitcoin is a trustless system. Right. <laughs> it's whole, it's built on the whole idea. The, point. the whole idea being that, it, you know, to really make it very uh, rudimentary you know it's kind of like the internet where somebody can say something but then the community is like no 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 no, no. that's not true right. you know the community it's similar in that somebody tries to do a transaction the whole network of the people that are running the network have to agree with it computationally and then you know that transaction yeah, becomes no official. trust needed is no trust idea. needed it's a whole group that's verifying and, and auditing the ledger so that that's kind of the idea the World Economic Forum doesn't have to come in and create trust us, trust the tech that we're <laughs> that we're yeah. putting in your face. That's really deceptive because the tech that they're trying to shove in everyone's faces is not trustless. It's very highly centralized and highly manipulative. Yeah, they, <laughs> and you can they, tell. They need your trust. That's why they're begging for your trust. Begging and for your trust. Pretty making you pay pathetic. for a membership so you're invested, promising yeah. you the life of your dreams. You'll accomplish all your goals. You'll get, you'll get the money you need, and you'll save the earth all at the same time. Just pay your membership dues and do whatever Klaus Schwab tells you to do. It's yeah. really unbelievable. I mean, the fact that the World Economic Forum has sort of stooped to basically becoming a... Like I want to know what shill. I want. Yeah, I want to know what WEF got paid for this. Like this is obviously they're getting incentivized to try to encourage people to join this cult, and I'm just very curious to know the details of that. Yeah, we will keep an eye on. Yes, we trust because we definitely do not trust them. <laughs> 
Razzle Dazzle, it's your best buddies Basil and Guns. Your favorite podcasters are at it again. Well, at least until the bunnies break free. Support value for value and think outside the cage with Canary Cry News Talk. Are you tired of advertisers trying to make you an offer you cannot refuse? Then support value for value with your best buddies, Bessel and Guns, and Canary Cry News Talk. years of specialized training to watch adorable samurai babies. Join the CCNT Babysitter Club today and support value for value. <laughs> 